0: section 14 of the book of ghosts this is a LibriVox recording all LibriVox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org the book of ghosts by Sabine Barring Gould section 14 and here I must explain No word was uttered by either of us. No word could have been uttered by this vaporous form. It had no material lungs, nor throat, nor mouth to form vocal sounds. It had but the semblance of a man. It was a spook, not a human being, but from it proceeded thought-waves, podillic force, which smote upon the tympanum of my mind or soul, and thereon registered the ideas formed by it. So in like manner I thought my replies, and they were communicated back in the same manner. If vocal words had passed between us, neither would have been intelligible to the other. No dictionary was ever compiled, or would be compiled, of the tongue of prehistoric man. Moreover, the grammar of the speech of that race would be absolutely incomprehensible to man now. But thoughts can be interchanged without words. When we think, we do not think in any language. It is only when we desire to communicate our thoughts to other men that we shape them into words to express them vocally in structural, grammatical sentences. The beasts have never attained to this, yet they can communicate with one another, not by language, but by thought vibrations. I must further remark that when I give what ensued as a conversation, I have to render the thought intercommunication that passed between the Homo prehistoricus, the prehistoric man, and me in English, as best I can render it. I knew, as we conversed, that I was not speaking to him in English, nor in French, nor Latin, nor in any tongue whatever. Moreover, when I use the words said or spoke, I mean no more than that the impression was formed on my brain-pan, or the receptive drum of my soul was produced by the rhythmic, orderly sequence of thought-waves. When, however, I expressed the words screamed or shrieked, I signify that those vibrations came sharp and swift, and when I say laughed, that they came in a choppy, irregular fashion, conveying the idea, not the sound of laughter. I will tear you, I will rend you to bits, and throw you in pieces about this cave, shrieked the Homo prehistoricus, or primeval man. Again, I remonstrated, and inquired, How had I incensed him? But yelling with rage, he threw himself upon me. In a moment I was enveloped in a luminous haze. Strips of phosphorescent vapor laid themselves about me. But I received no injury whatever. Only my spiritual nature was subjected to something like a magnetic storm. After a few moments, the spook disengaged itself from me and drew back to where it was before screaming broken exclamations of meaningless rage and jabbering savagely it rapidly cooled down why do you wish me ill i asked again i cannot hurt you i am spirit you are matter and spirit cannot injure matter my nails are psychic phenomena your soul, you can lacerate yourself, but I can affect nothing. Nothing. Then why have you attacked me? What is the cause of your impotent resentment? Because you are a son of the twentieth century, and I lived eight thousand years ago. Why are you nursed in the lap of luxury? Why do you enjoy comforts, a civilization that we knew nothing of? It is not just. It is cruel on us. We had nothing, nothing, literally nothing, not even Lucifer matches. Again he fell to screaming, as might a caged monkey, rendered furious by failure to attain an apple which he could not reach. I am very sorry, but it is no fault of mine. Whether it be your fault or not does not matter to me. You have these things. We had not why i saw you just now strike a light on the sole of your boot it was done in a moment we had only flint and ironstone and it took half a day with us to kindle a fire and then it flayed our knuckles with continuous knocking no we had nothing nothing no lucifer matches no commercial travellers no benedictine no pottery no metal no education no elections no chocolat how do you know about these products of the present age here buried under fifty feet of soil for eight thousand years it is my spirit which speaks with your spirit my spook does not always remain with my bones i can go up Rocks and stones and earth heaped over me do not hold me down. I am often above. I am in the tavern overhead. I have seen men drink there. I have seen a bottle of Benedictine. I have applied my psychical lips to it, but I could taste, absorb nothing. I have seen commercial travellers there cajoling the patron into buying things he did not want. They are mysterious, marvellous beings. Their powers of persuasion are little short of miraculous. What do you think of doing with me?" Well, I propose first of all photographing you, then soaking you in gum-arabic, and finally transferring you to a museum. He screamed as though with pain, and gasped, "'Don't! Don't do it! It will be torture insufferable!' But why so? You'll be under glass, in a polished oak or mahogany box. Don't! You cannot understand what it will be to me—a spirit! more or less attached to my body, to spend ages upon ages in a museum, with fibula, triskelli, polstaves, celts, torques, scarabs. We cannot travel very far from our bones, our range is limited, and conceive of my feelings for centuries, condemned to wander among glass cases containing prehistoric antiquities, and to hear the talk of scientific men alone, now, here, it is otherwise. Here I can pass up when I like into the tavern, and can see men get drunk, and hear commercial travelers hoodwink the patron, and then when the taverner finds he has been induced to buy what he did not want, I can see him beat his wife and smack his children. There is something human, humorous in that, but fibulae, Staves, torques, bah! You seem to have a lively knowledge of antiquities, I observed. Of course I have. There come archaeologists here and eat their sandwiches above me and talk prehistoric antiquities till I am sick. Give me life. Give me something interesting. But what do you mean when you say that you cannot travel far from your bones? I mean that there is a sort of filmy attachment that connects our psychic nature with our mortal remains. It's like a spider and its web. Suppose the soul to be the spider and the skeleton to be the web. If you break the thread, the spider will never find its way back to its home. So it is with us. There is an attachment, a faint thread of luminous spiritual matter that unites us to our earthly husk. It is liable to accidents. It sometimes gets broken, sometimes dissolved by water. If a black beetle crawls across it, it suffers a sort of paralysis." I have never been to the other side of the river. I have feared to do so, though very anxious to look at that creature like a large black caterpillar called the train. That is news to me. Do you know of any cases of rupture of connection? Yes, he replied. My old father, after he was dead some years ago, got his link of attachment broken, and he wandered about disconsolate. He could not find his own body, but he lighted on that of a young female of seventeen. And he got into that. It happened most singularly that her spook, being frolicsome and inconsiderate, had got its bond also broken, and she, that is her spirit, straying about in quest of her body, lighted on that of my venerable parent, and for want of a better, took possession of it. It so chanced that after a while they met and became chummy. In the world of spirits, there is no marriage, but there grow up spiritual attachments. And these two got rather fond of each other, but never could puzzle it out, which was which and what each was. For a female soul had entered into an old male body, and a male soul had taken up its residence in a female body. Neither could riddle out of which sex each was. You see, they had no education. But I know that my father's soul became quite sportive in that young woman's skeleton. Did they continue, Chummy? No. They quarrelled as to which was which, and they are now not on speaking terms. I have two great-uncles. Now theirs is a sad tale. Their souls were out wandering one day, and inadvertently they crossed and recrossed each other's tracks, so that their spiritual threads of attachment got twisted. They found this out, and that they were getting tangled up. What one of them should have done would have been to have stood still and let the other jump over, and dive under his brother's thread, until he had cleared himself. But my maternal great-uncles, I think I forgot to say they were related to me through my mother, they were men of peppery tempers, and they could not understand this. They had no education. So they jumped one this way and one the other, each abusing the other, and made the tangle more complete. That was about six thousand years ago. And they are now so knotted up that I do not suppose they will be clear of one another till time is no more. He paused and laughed. Then I said, It must have been very hard for you to be without pottery of any sort. It was, replied H.P. This stands for Homo Prehistoricus, not for House Parlor Maid or Hardy Perennial. Very hard. We had skins for water and milk. Oh, you had milk? I supposed you had no cows. Nor had we, but the reindeer were beginning to get docile and be tamed. If we caught young deer we brought them up to be pets for our children, and so it came about that as they grew up we found out that we could milk them into skins. But that gave it a smack, and whenever we desired a fresh draught there was nothing for it but to lie flat on the ground under a doe reindeer and suck for all we were worth. It was hard. Horses were hunted. It did not occur to us that they could be tamed, and saddled, and mounted. Oh, it was not right. It was not fair that you should have everything, and we nothing, nothing, nothing. Why should you have all, and we have had naught? Because I belong to the twentieth century. Thirty-three generations go to a thousand years. There are some two hundred and sixty-four or two hundred and seventy generations intervening between you and me. Each generation makes some discovery that advances civilization a stage. The next enters on the discoveries of the preceding generations, and so culture advances stage by stage. Man is infinitely progressive. The brute beast is not." "'That is true,' he replied. "'I invented butter.' which was unknown to my ancestors, the unbuttered man. Indeed. It was so, he said, and I saw a flash of light ripple over the emanation. I suppose it was a glow of self-satisfaction. It came about thus. One of my wives had nearly let the fire out. I was very angry, and catching up one of the skins of milk, I banged her about the head with it, till she fell insensible to the earth. The other wives were very pleased and applauded. When I came to take a drink, for my exertions had heated me, I found that the milk was curdled into butter. At first I did not know what it was, so I made one of my other wives taste it, and as she pronounced it to be good, I ate the rest myself. That was how butter was invented. For four hundred years that was the way it was made, by banging a milk-skin about the head of a woman till she was knocked down insensible. But at last a woman found out that by churning the milk with her hand, butter could be made equally well. And then the former process was discontinued, except by some men who clung to ancestral customs. But, said I, nowadays you would not be suffered to knock your wife about, even with a milk skin. Why not? Because it's barbarous. You'd be sent to jail. But she was my wife. Nevertheless, it would not be tolerated. The law steps in and protects women from ill-usage. How shameful! Not allowed to do what you like with your own wife. Most assuredly not. Then you remarked that this was how you dealt with one of your wives. How many did you possess? Oh, off and on, seventeen. Now, no man is suffered to have more than one. What, one at a time? Yes, I replied. Ah, well— "'Then if you had an old and ugly wife, or one who was a scold, you could kill her and get another young and pretty. That would not be allowed. Not even if she were a scold? No. You would have to put up with her to the bitter end.' H.P. Hm. remained silent for a while, wrapped in thought. Presently he said, "'There's one thing I do not understand. In the wine-shop overhead the men get very quarrelsome, others drunk, but they never kill one another.' No, if one man killed another, he would have his head cut off here in France. Unless extenuating circumstances were found with us in England, he would be hanged by the neck till he was dead. Then what is your sport? We hunt the fox. The fox is bad eating. I never could stomach it. If I did kill a fox, I made my wives eat it, and had some mammoth meat for myself." But hunting is business with us, or was so, not sport. Nevertheless, with us it's our great sport. Business is business, and sport is sport, he said. Now we hunted as business, and had little fights, and killed one another as our sport. We are not suffered to kill one another. But take the case, said he, that a man has a nose ring, or a pretty wife, and you want one or the other. "'Surely you might kill him, and possess yourself, of what you so ardently covet?' "'By no means. "'Now to change the topic I went on. "'You are totally destitute of clothing. "'You do not even wear the traditional garment of fig-leaves. "'What avail fig-leaves? "'There's no warmth in them?' "'Perhaps not, but out of delicacy. "'What is that? "'I don't understand.' There was clearly no corresponding sensation in the vibrating tympanum of his psychic nature. "'Did you never wear clothes?' I inquired. "'Certainly. When it was cold, we wore skins—skins of the beasts we killed. But in summer, what is the use of clothing? Besides, we only wore them out of doors. When we entered our homes made of skins hitched up to the rock overhead, we threw them off. It was hot within, and we perspired freely.' What? Were naked in your homes, you and your wives? Of course we were. Why not? It was very warm within, with the fire always kept up. Why, good gracious me! I exclaimed. That would never be tolerated nowadays. If you attempted to go about the country unclothed, even get out of your clothes freely at home, you would be sent to a lunatic asylum and kept there. Humph! He again lapsed into silence. Presently, he exclaimed, after all— I think we were better off as we were 8,000 years ago, even without your matches, Benedictine, education, chocolat meniere, and commercials, for then we were able to enjoy real sport. We could kill one another. We could knock old wives on the head. We could have a dozen or more squaws, according to our circumstances, young and pretty. And we could career about the country, or sit and enjoy a social chat at home, stark naked." We were best off as we were. There are compensations in life at every period of man. Vive la liberté! At that moment I heard a shout, saw a flash of light. The workman had pierced the barrier. A rush of fresh air entered. I staggered to my feet. Mon Dieu, monsieur! Vie encore! I felt dizzy. Kind hands grasped me. I was dragged forth. Brandy was poured down my throat when i came to myself i gasped fill in the hole fill it all up let hp lie where he is he shall not go to the british museum i have had enough of prehistoric antiquities adieu pour toujours la vesere end of section 14